Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gunnan from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Ganinen. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Dave Foy to the podcast. Dave is currently the Service and Parts Director for Prime Motor Group and has a load of experience in the car dealership world. On top of that, Dave is the founder of the Fixed Ops Mastermind Group that brings industry experts together to help them learn. I met Dave at the Ted Ings Fixed Ops Roundtable. I believe it was at the very first one in New York City and got to know him uh, through the rest of those roundtable sessions. I can tell you that Dave is extremely passionate about this business and does an awesome job of helping make our industry better. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. How are you doing today? Uh, I am excellent. I couldn't be better. Thank you for having me. Um, we did indeed meet uh, in, at the original Fixed Ops Roundtable. Yes, um, I, was, I was trying to remember it, that. I, I wasn't sure if it was yeah. that one or the next one, but yes, you're right. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely the first one in a very crowded little boardroom. So. <laughs> and warm, right? Oh, man, oh, man. I thought I was, was being warm. smart getting a seat at the table, but it was a bad idea. It, it was warm, and we were pretty loud. I remember having uh, the people, the other people in the office building coming over and telling us that we were, uh, we needed to quiet down. So uh, it, was a, it was a good first event. I think we all learned from it, and just a, a really, really group of a good group of really smart people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, I mean, I think for the most part, a, a core group that has continued to uh, come together at Ted's events. So yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I think that's the cool part about it. And I, I'm actually uh, going to have Ted on here in a few episodes. And, and um, I think the the cool part about that was there was some kind of, uh, I don't know, some type of chemistry between all of us that kind of showed up there that first, that first time in New York City. And really, it's fun to see how well everybody has supported one another and really kind of uh, really engaged with each other. And, and to me, it's just a really cool group and something that, uh, that Ted did a really, really good job at kind of producing. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's always fun to get together with other fixed ops people, but uh, you, you're right. There, there was... Um, I mean, Ted put that on with with really no expectations of yeah. of what it was going to be, and uh, it, it went really well, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, very cool. So, give us a little bit of your background. I, I guess I'd probably start with how did you how did you get into the industry in the first place? Like, what got you into this crazy business? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, I was actually in high school, not a terrific student smart enough to, to get myself by without doing a lot of studying, just barely by, I'm not talking A's and B's here. <laughs> um, I, I was the same way. I get it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I had actually signed up for, uh, it, it was called a computer maintenance program. It was an early computer repair program uh, at a community college that was spearheading it. And it was, at the time, was a, a leader in the nation for, for producing computer techs. And uh, my, my dad, realizing how great of a student I was, was like, you realize there's a lot of math in this program. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good at math, which I had clearly shown through high school. And uh, so they were at this. And my dad worked at this college, by the way. So um, he had heard about a new program that was coming in from Ford Motor Company called the Asset Program. 
And he said, why don't you just at least go and just see what they have to say? So I went to a presentation at the school from Ford. They put up this really glamorous uh, slideshow uh, of us in lab coats and you know, we're just, you're going to diagnose the vehicle, you're going to plug it in, you're going to figure out the computers and you're going to shuffle it on to somebody else to fix it. At the time, back in 87, you're going to come out of school making 60 grand a year and it's only going to go up from there. And it was like, I was hooked. I was sold. I'm like, this is, this is cool. You get to deal with cars all day and electronics. I'm, I'm in. So I signed up that way. (laughs) And then uh, you realize the automotive business is not about white lab coats and And uh, so I, I became a became a tech, and uh, I was a tech for four or five years or so. I was not a, a very good tech. I'm, I'm much better at the the standing back and and uh, looking at what the guys are doing. And I, I I'm really great at being able to help them diagnose cars. But when I was in it, I just I, I couldn't get my head around things. I'm much better on the outside. So I I went from doing that to being an advisor. And uh, have have just grown from there up, up through pretty much every every position you know other than uh, an actual parts counter person. So well, that's interesting because that that's very similar to my background, right? I, I was not a strong high school student. I also got the white lab coat uh, presentation to to go to tech school and how glorious it was. But I I grew up in the car business, so it was always kind of I I, I kind of knew what it was regardless. But going into it and then coming out of it thinking, okay, you know what? I've done this for a long time. I should be pretty good at it. And then just being really bad at it was uh, very, very humbling. Uh, so so <laughs> I, uh, I totally get where you're coming from. And I think that's what the, maybe a part of as you go into management and go into other roles, and I always say this about myself, is where you have that appreciation for text that I don't think others do, where how hard of a job that is. It's not just go out and you know, you know how to do everything right off the bat. It's, right. it's a challenge. Yeah, no, I did, absolutely. And, and every time if I go into a new dealership or if I'm interviewing guys, you know, I, I'm, I always make sure that I tell them that. I, I wasn't, I, what I say is I wasn't born in a management seat. I, I came up through the ranks. I've, yeah. I've done the job that I'm asking you to do. And it definitely gives you an appreciation for what they're going through. Um, definitely gives me more patience with the newer guys. And, and the younger guys, you know, where, where some other people get frustrated when they forget an oil cap and it's like, right, there's a lot of moving parts to what they're doing. And, yeah. you, you know, until they develop their own system, stuff like that happens. So, yeah, well, it definitely and, helps. Yeah. And, and one thing that I noticed over the years, too, was that just developing that confidence right off the bat, right, where it, it's they're afraid to make a mistake and they're afraid that, you know, hey, if I if I leave that oil cap off. I'm going to blow up the engine or, you know, if I leave the oil plug out, I'm going to blow up the engine and then I'm going to get fired. And like, it just, right. that plays out in their mind because they haven't built up enough credibility yet. So I think mm-hmm. they're almost, they're working scared to start off with. And that, that, uh, that's not a good recipe for success a lot of times. Yeah, no, that definitely not. And that's why another conversation that once they're in the building that, that I have is, you know, mistakes happen. We expect them to happen. They're, they're yeah. going to happen every single day. Obviously we want to mitigate what those mistakes are, but they're going to happen. And, and if, you, if you do, like you said, work scared all the time and, and you keep yourself from trying to make mistakes, you, you tend to make more yeah, mistakes. You do. You do. You know, yeah, you, they, you, they compound. Yes, they do. And it's frustrating. And I, I've seen some, 
some good, smart, talented people go down the wrong path because of that. And it, it's, uh, it's tough to watch. But so tell me a little bit about your role right now. What, what is it that you're doing right now? And, and uh, obviously, you've got a lot of things going on, as I mentioned in the intro. And we'll, we'll dive into the fixed ops mastermind group uh, after we kind of go through some of this. But mm -hmm. t tell me a little bit about what you, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and kind of just your walk us through a day in the life of Dave Foy. You, you, <laughs> you got it. We'll, we'll start from after I walk the dogs, though. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm the, the service and parts director at, uh, at a, a dealership for Prime. It's a Ford dealership. Um, I took this job. Uh, my dad became ill a few months ago. Uh, yeah, more than a few months ago. But um, I was running uh, the, the several stores at, at, for the 24 group. And I took this job because it's 11 minutes from my house. My dad lives right next door to me. So that, that made it very easy to be able to be there to help out my parents. So it, it's turned out to be a great move. Great, great company. Uh, first time that I've worked for a corporate you know, company that they're, they're owned by an investment company. So I, I really expected it to be more of an ABC, you know, here's, these are the processes type of place. And it's not like that, wow. which is it. it uh, when I first got there, I was trying to do something and I reached out to my boss and said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. And he said, it's your store, Dave, do what you need to do. Wow. So I was like, you oh, don't get sweet. that very often. do you? No, awesome. no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's been uh, it, it's been a challenge, it, nonetheless. Uh, even having that freedom, it's a store that has been broken for a very long time. It's a brand new building, just just turned a year old. So, obviously, there's the pressure from corporate over the fact that they just built a fourteen million dollar facility to to get things going. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, they went from a hundred year old dealership facility, and they just brought all of that into a brand new building. You know, I don't mean equipment wise, I mean, yeah. culture wise, thinking wise, all of that came, just came over. It was, it, it was not done properly when it was done. And, and because of that, unfortunately, it was turnover, manager after manager after manager after advisor oh, after. It, so, you know, customers, when I, when I started there five months ago, customers were like, as soon as they came in the door, they were, they were mad. As soon as they get in there, like like they were expecting that you were going to treat them badly. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So five months later, it's nice. The phones aren't ringing all day long with people that just want to scream at you. And <laughs> um, it, uh, it, it's a big change. But when I started there, it was um, I had oh, – I just looked at this the other day. I think I had five repair orders that were, that were over 200 days and or six repair orders over 200 days. And five of those guys were actually – Cars that still needed to get worked on. <laughs> really? That's, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. No, over 200 days. Over 200 days. Over oh. 200 days. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm sorry. I yeah. misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, going on almost a year. Oh, my God. <laughs> sitting, sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> I definitely um, wasn't thinking that. Yeah, and there, there, was a, uh, there was a big giant repair order rack next to the area that the shop foreman dispatched from. And... <laughs> I've since taken that rack away because I called it the, the rack where ROs go to die B because they would live, they'd order parts for something or listen to a noise, not sure what it was. They would throw it in that rack and that was it. Nobody would touch it again. And customers would call and yell and scream and advisors would quit. So then now somebody else is handling it. And oh. it was, it was tough, but it, it, it's, 
it's much better now. Uh, obviously, to, to get your reputation back with the public takes a while. So, yeah. you know, we, we still got work to do there. But, um, wow. you know, the, the customers believe now that, that we're actually there to try and take care of them. And, and the culture in the shop, as, as I've explained to them over and over again, is we, we are here for the customer. First and foremost, for the customer. That, that's it. Everything else will follow that. Yeah. You want to make money? Great. Take care of the customer and we can make money, but don't take care of the customer and none of us have jobs. So. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's huge. And, and I've seen dealers not handle it that way. And, and it, it does create, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing to me how fast that change happens, right? You can, you can lose that respectability. You can lose that, that customer touch overnight or with one person in a dealership or any business for that matter, if you have a kind of a sour apple that, that is, uh, that's not treating people right. And I, I think that's a big testament to you to get that turned around that fast. Six months is not a long time to, to be able to kind of come in, get control, especially when there was turnover you know, prior to that, uh, where it, it makes it really, really tough to get any level of consistency if there's just constant turnover. And yeah. if there's constant turnover, then it makes it harder to get good people because every, like, the industry's not that big. So like, right. people understand that there's, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a lot of turnover somewhere, there's a reason why there's a lot of turnover somewhere. And so I, I give you a lot of credit for coming in and kind of grabbing that by the horns because that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm a culture guy. It, it's, that's, that's what helps to build anything. It, it's, it's funny because this dealership is almost literally across the street from the Nissan store that I spent five years with. Okay. Um, wh when I started at that store, they had been last in CSI in their district for three plus years running. And I mean, every month they were 12 out of 12 for three plus years running. They never moved out of that position. And in 11 months, we were number one. So, wow. and that's, it's the same thing. You know, it's just, it's building that culture. It's making sure that the team understands that, that they can trust me. That, that I'm there to, to help them make a better living, yeah. um, that, I'm, that I'm not going to hurt them. I'm going to provide the cover fire from the higher ups to, to be able to get stuff done. And, and once you can build that trust with, with them, then they, they can concentrate on taking care of the customer. They don't have to worry about all the, the other peripheral crap. So walk me through when you walk into a new shop or a new situation and you're looking at that culture walk me through that process a little bit because is it are, are you studying it first and seeing what you've got or do you go in with a plan right away or kind of walk me through kind of that process of how you attack that yeah so it, typically um yes i have a plan but but the plan is is um is back um until i can kind of get to know who's there uh so i i try to come in quietly um I tend to not say a lot. I just, I go around and I have conversations with individuals and I try to let them lead the conversation so that I can feel out whether this is a person that truly cares. Yeah. This is a person that cares, but has just been mistreated or this is a person that just doesn't care. And, and, and I start to, to make my decisions on, on who's going to stay, who isn't going to stay. And, and I try to do it quietly because it's, this, this may come out the wrong way, but it's, it's much more intimidating that way. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to come in as, as the good buddy. 
but I also don't want to come in as as the absolute bad guy. Yeah, um, I'm the chopping block of like yeah. I'm getting rid of everybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just kind of come in quietly. So it, it it's intimidating in the way like that they don't know whether am I the guy that's just going to fire everybody or am I the guy that is just going to make friends and let everybody do what they want. So. Right. And and that is is very intentional because I that that's what I want. I don't I don't want them to really know what what I'm about until I can get to know them a little bit. Sure, um, I think that's and, smart. Yeah, and then from there you can figure out what your plan is going to be. You know, wh- whether you need to lean to the side of of being the really tough guy, or whether you can lean to the side of just build relationships a little more and and bring people mm. you know into the fold. So. That's great information, and I I think. That's so true. And, and if I could have gone back to my time in leading uh, service and parts departments, and one of the things that I wish I would have done differently was communicated that to what my plan was to ownership ahead of time, right? Because I think when I, when I came into fir- my first big kind of director role, I, I came in and they're expecting results like that first month. Right. And, and they're like, well, the P and L says this, and we're, you know, we're, we're not performing there yet. And I'm like, I don't even know these people's names yet. Like how, how am I going to, how am I going to, how do I know how to manage these people or plan for these people? It's great to have that plan, but there's so much that goes into that, that I don't think people understand. And even just as simple as remembering people's names is really, Mm -hmm. really difficult, especially in a a big dealership setting where, you know, you're trying to understand their names and their personalities. And, and like you say, do you care? And I love what you said about, do you care, but maybe you just haven't been treated right so far and they have a legit like case about mm-hmm. that? Like yeah. feeling that out is underestimated and it takes a lot more time than I think people think it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Be, because obviously you can talk to somebody who, who seems to, to not give a crap. And, and look, I have to understand from their perspective, they, they've seen five, six, seven of me yeah. walk in the door. You know, to, I mean, to them in, in four or five months, I'm gone. Right. You know, so that, so what, what is there for them to, to, to grasp onto me and, and do what I'm asking them to do? You know, if, if they think I might be gone, if right. they think I might leave. So that's why you've got to build that relationship and build that trust. And, and definitely ownership needs to know what your, your plan is. And I may not spell that out exactly like I just did to you. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm big on telling them that the, it's a big ship and it, those big ships take time to turn and it's not going to change in a month or two months. It's going to take some time. And even once we build the culture from going from building the culture to now building the gross profit machine, yeah. you, you've got to now shift into a, another mode, which is where, where we've shifted to now, you, you know, now we've got, we've got the culture, right? Now we need to shift into building gross profit and, and making money for the dealership. So, I mean, you're, you're essentially setting your foundation. So like setting a good clean foundation. So you're ready to go moving forward. Right. And that's, I, I'm assuming, is that a big piece of your gross profit machine is, is that piece? I mean, that that's gotta be in place. I'm assuming before you can really take off with anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, absolutely. Because it, like w- when we started this, I, I said, it's gotta be about the customer uh, and everybody has to be on that same page. You all have to be focused on taking care of that customer and everybody has to understand what their role is in that. Advisor wise, I'm, I'm not the guy who is going to restrict them from using service policy or make them have to come get me for a password to use service policy. I'll explain to you what I want you to use it on, 
and you use your discretion. And if you did it in a way that I wouldn't have, we'll talk about it and right. then we'll go forward. If you do it again, we'll have a different conversation. But, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the first time, as long as you can communicate to me that you were doing what you did to help a customer and not, oh, I totally screwed up an estimate. So I gave them, you know, 200 bucks off the bill, but rather, you know, whatever this person was, whatever the story is, this, this person was stranded you know, 500 miles from home. And so I did it at a lesser labor rate to be able to help them and all that stuff. I'm, I'm fine with all that stuff. Do what's right for the customer, but you've got to get everybody rowing the boat in that direction. They, they've got to know that they can do what's right for the customer. And from there, your gross profit machine can go without, without that part of the foundation you, you can't, you, you can make money short term, but, but long term you, you will not, you won't have the retention. You won't have those people coming back that already trust you. You don't have to build the trust with them to, to sell value in what you do. That, that's a big part of it. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I think it, it really goes back to what we, we started the conversation with too, with allowing people to make a mistake and not just beating them over the head with it, you know, or not leveraging it every time you talk to them. Well, that one time, Timmy, you screwed up this. At, at, you, <laughs> once you start doing that, like it's, it's over. Like they, they don't want to be there anymore. And, and uh, I think that approach that you're taking with the, with that team is phenomenal. I think that's great. So so let's Thanks. say we get through the we get through the foundational side, the the really the building the foundation of culture. What comes next? Like then you start to focus on profitability. Then you start to to focus on the business itself. Yeah. So from from there, now we can now we can make a concentration on making sure that that we're setting our schedule up properly number one, that, that we've got the right mix of, of work coming in, that, that advisors understand how to present a, a menu to a customer and that they present the menu 100% of the time to that yeah. customer, that technicians understand you've got to do a multi-point 100% of the time. I don't care if the car was in the day before. That's the value that we provide our customers, as well as obviously a giant liability release for, for us. But it's everybody has to, obviously, I'm from New England. I'm, I'm a Belichick guy. Uh, everybody has to do, do your job. Do your job. That, that's it. Do your job. You know, the, the, the advisors want to complain that a tech didn't do a multi-point. Just bring it to me. I'll go talk to the tech. The tech wants to complain that the advisor never sells what they, what they bring them. So that's why they won't do a multi-point. That, that, that's all just snowballs on itself and doesn't get us anywhere. So. You do your multi-point, you make sure you, you sell what's on the multi-point and everybody lets the customer decide what, what they want to do. And, and so those, those are, once, once you have that customer centric culture in place, those conversations are much, much easier because you can focus all of those conversations on the customer. Like the customer is expecting us to give them a multi-point. The customer is expecting you to explain to them what the technician put on the multi-point. So that's, that's the, next, the next part of it. And, and obviously from that starts to drive the, the gross profit. You know, once, once you're getting your reputation back um, so, that, so that, you know, every survey isn't a struggle and, and getting people to text to do the, the right thing with the multi-points and getting advisors to do the right thing and explaining that to the, to the customers, everything starts on, on the upward track. That's hard to do. And I, I will say 
you, you brought up the, uh, the being from New England and the, the Northeast part. For those of my friends that are in the Midwest or on the West Coast or you know, wherever you're at in the country, I will say getting chewed out by somebody from the Northeast, it, it hits differently, right? Like that's, that's, not, a, uh, that's not a normal uh, ass chewing. That's, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're probably, <laughs> when you're coming in there, that's, uh, that's, uh, some, you, you get some, some interesting language. We're a little higher strung, I think, than the rest of the country for some reason. It's probably just rotten weather. It's, it's, I, I got some great friends from the Northeast, from the Boston area, from you know New York area, and uh, I always give them hell about that because I'm like, it, uh, I've got some bad uh, butt chewings over the years, but I think in my Hall of Fame of butt chewings, it's probably been the Northeast uh, that, that really got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we have a way of composing a sentence that only contains swear words. So, <laughs> oh, that's why I love everybody in the Northeast. It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, so, so once you start to to get that rolling, right? You go through the training. You go through a, a really of the the multi point inspection. Then how you sell that or how you present it to a customer. What do you do to keep them accountable to that or hold them accountable to that? Because obviously they are going to make some mistakes like we talked about in the past. But if you've got somebody that just blatantly doesn't follow process or is uh, somewhat rogue in general, how do you handle a situation like that? So obviously you're going to try to bring them into the fold. Um, it, you know, you're going to do your normal consultations with them, you know, verbal warnings, written warnings if you have to. You're going to try to do everything you can to, to coach that person to, to be the, the team member that, that you hope they can be. One of the things that, that is sometimes effective with them, depending on the, the personality, is you almost make them a, uh, I'm going to say a player. It's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah, um, no, so, I get where so, you're going so, with that. But, but, but it would basically, basically it, would be a, it, it, it would be a, Jay, look, I need your help on this. I, I need your help with making sure that we get multi-points going. I got, you know, some young guys over there that, you know, they, they don't think it's that important. You and I know how important it is. I know it's a pain in the ass to do them, but I need your help to, to get this done, to set the example for them and, and try to make it, try to put it on them like, hey, I'm, 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 helping, I'm helping those guys, yeah. you know, do, do a better job and, and things. Depending on that person's personality, if they're, if they're a half decent human being and want to be somebody that helps somebody, they're probably going to come around. Yeah. And it, honestly, Jay, if, if they're not someone who wants to come around, then you, you gotta, you gotta know when to, to, to cut bait. Yeah. You, you yeah. gotta know when to, to, to get rid of somebody because a, a, a cancer in the shop will, will kill that culture that you're trying to build. Yes, they will. And, and it doesn't will... matter how good of a tech they are. I mean, nope. that, that's the tough part, right? Is mm -hmm. you, you get a really, really good uh, A-level tech that can do anything, but nobody can work with them. It yeah. makes life miserable for everybody. And yep. that's, uh, I, that's, it is one of the hardest decisions you'll ever come to in that you see somebody that's just producing like a rock star and just does everything right, except the personal side, right? And, right? and like just the attitude and and that's one thing I would try to say to any tech that's listening to this this podcast is 
one area when I was managing technicians that I always thought that you could just set yourself over and above what everybody else is doing is strictly on attitude. Like being able to, to do the small things, whether it's an ATEC picking up a broom and granted, we don't want an ATEC sweeping all the time by any yeah. means, but to, to lead by example that, hey, my bay is clean, everything is organized. And if you, if you want help, let me know what you need help on at, you know, to an extent. Uh, but really be a team player and it can help. And I think so often we get tied to, well, I'm paid on flat rate and I'm not going to help anybody because that's not how I'm paid to do my job. And I totally get that part because you're, you're trying to make money, Mm -hmm. but on the other end, you can make life so much easier for yourself to, you know, when you go ask somebody for help, uh, if, as long as you're not treating them like a prick, like (laughs) you Mm -hmm. can, you, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's reciprocal, right? Like I I think if you treat people good, they're going to come back and treat you well. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I really believe in karma. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, I, when I, when I was a, a, a poor tech and poor, poor, uh, as in my work quality, not, uh, <laughs> same here. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the guy that worked next to me who had been in the business for 30 years was, you know, the, the electronic genius who would watch me struggle on something and then come over and go, Hey, uh, to check that and fix the car in three seconds. Yes. Um, I, I still remember to this day him saying to me when, when one day there was nothing going on in the shop and he said, pick up a broom and sweep. And I said, I'm flat rate. And he said, pick up a broom and sweep. You'll be a better man for it. Oh, I love that. I love and I was that. Like, okay. <laughs> and I- you know, from that day on, if there was nothing going on, yeah, I cleaned up. I don't. I don't walk by stuff in in the shop in the parking lot. If there's something there, I pick it up. Yeah, you know, man, that, uh, that it, gets me pumped difference. up. That's awesome. Yeah, like that, yeah. That, that to me, that's what techs don't understand in a lot of cases. And and where in my experience, the best of the best, and they didn't even know they were doing it when they were doing it, but they leave like a legacy behind, right? And and I <laughs> I look at it uh, a tech that was one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, regardless of position, regardless of education, regardless of whatever, just a really sharp guy. And unfortunately he passed away uh, uh, probably a couple of years ago. Um, and he'll always have an impact on my life just because of how willing he was to help me, even as his manager to go through and show me things. And, and if I didn't understand a certain way, something worked to be able to, to walk through it. And I, I just, he had such a, grace about him of, of doing that and, and being so selfless and everybody respected him, you know, when, when he went to retire and honestly, like when he passed away, he left a legacy behind that's going to last for a long time. And same thing with, uh, you know, you, you, I don't think people understand that, that whole legacy thing. I think they always think it's like, okay, what did I do in business or what did I do here? But truly how you leave people behind in terms of what they think of you and, and how you made them feel is such a big, big impact. And, and I don't think some of these texts understand how big of an impact they have on other people's lives. Yeah. And, and not just texts, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, advisors, it's guys sitting in, in my seat that just want to pound on the desk and, and yell and get some stuff done. You know, this business is a people business for, for us handling the customers, but also for us handling our team and, you know, that legacy gets left behind by those techs because of their attitude. They, they, yeah. Sometimes they, they, they appear better techs than they are, 
because their attitude is so great because yes. they were the guy who always helped and and you know those those things you're right that go go unnoticed a, a lot of times and they go they go a lot further than uh, the guys think you know yeah. if you're a genuinely genuinely you are a good person you will leave that legacy on that shop and and you don't have to be the super a tech you know to be able to do that you just got to be a good guy yeah oh you know? i i totally believe that and i think that that's what sets your culture up you know when you talk about going into a shop is if you get some leadership in the shop and when i say leadership some of your top techs in the shop and and not even necessarily just that a level elect electrical genius but, you know, somebody that's a, a career B-level tech or, you know, whatever it is, but they set a standard of culture that it's so high that if somebody comes in that doesn't meet that culture, they know it immediately. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to fit in here. And that's where core building pieces of your shop are so, so vital. Because if you don't get those first, th th those leaders in your shop right, it's hard to build any culture uh, right. that's not bad moving mm -hmm. forward. Right, right. Yeah, well, be, because then the guys in your shop, rather than being guys who are helping to build the foundation, are the wrecking balls who are swinging around trying to knock down what you're what you're trying to build. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Man, the, the this, is, this is good. I, I love this stuff. Like this is uh, this. I, I could talk about this all day, but let's let's kind of move on to the fixed ops mastermind group and give me an idea of what gave you, like, what inspired you to start the fixed stops mastermind group and then walk me through and maybe explain to our audience here a little bit of what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, to start the group be, because I always say I want to leave this industry a little bit better than I found it. Um, I, I'm not naive enough to think that, that I'm going to be, you, you know, the, the Gandhi of the automotive industry and I'm going to completely change something, but, but to at least know that, that I played a small part in, in making this industry a little bit better helping somebody along the way. My initial idea for it was honestly because I wanted advisors and managers to be able to get some training through talking to other people who have been there so that they don't have to bash their head against a wall for 30 years like I did to try and figure out how to do this job. Yeah. Be because, you know, the service side of the business is does not... People can talk about how fixed ops is the big thing now. That's great. But there's still film crews in the showroom filming commercials. They're not, yeah. in, the, they're not in the shop. So, yeah. you know, the, the money still isn't there to, to train the fixed ops people who deal with more customers than, than a sales department does in a year than we do in a month. So I, I wanted to, to provide some information and some help for, the, for those guys. What it has kind of morphed into, and, and although over the last month or so we, we've had advisors joining up it, it was more people who were a little bit further along in their career um and, and i mean I'll, I'll say probably the average was probably about 10 years of how long people have been in there but it, it just became a, a great group of people who would get together we, we usually have an expert come on that that talks about some specific subject and then we have some discussion around that and it, it's it's a, a great group of people who are helping everybody else through the same things that we're all going through, but you get to see it from a different set of eyes. You, you know, all of us are guilty of being stuck in the weeds at times and, and you, you can't see that forest through the trees right. because you're in it. And, and sometimes just talking about what you, what you're doing in the, in the shop and it's not working 
and you have somebody like a Mike Vogel who's yeah. sitting on the call listening and going, Hey, have you tried this? You know, and, and you're like, wow, geez, I never even thought of doing that, you know, and it might be the most simple thing, which is why I called it a mastermind because that was to, to go back to, to thinking, grow rich and, and Napoleon Hill, you put all those brains together and, and they come up with better solutions than you do alone. And from there, it's, it's kind of grown. We've got on the website, we've got a, a private community area for all the members and all the, the old sessions are all there so they can watch them. We're building a, a digital library of, of information and, you know, uh, pay plans from all over the country and, and things that guys struggle with all the time just to try and help them through and, and make this business a little bit easier to deal with than, than, than just having to seek out the, the information always all on your own. Yeah. And you've got some, you've got some smart people on there. I, and you speak to Mike and obviously Mike is one of the smartest people I feel like in this, <laughs> in this business and in this industry, uh, he's, he's a sharp, sharp guy. So, and, and I think there's, there's value in, that community learning in general, I, you know, how often do you go to a training or you go to a seminar, or you go to a, a conference and you get as much value out of the people you meet there as mm -hmm. you do the actual training or the actual, you know, the, the actual right. conference itself. And yeah, it's uh, I, I, there's so much value in that. And it, I think when you get passionate people together to talk about things, that's when stuff happens and that's when mm -hmm. ideas happen. And, and right. I don't know. I, I commend you for that because I think that's a really, really cool way of approaching of approaching it. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's a it's it's way more work than I ever thought it was going to be. I can tell you that. <laughs> for an for an hour a week, it's uh, it takes up a lot of my week to get it put together, but um, it's it's well worth it. We uh th this past week, this past Tuesday, some guys have been asking, does anybody hang out after the session and just to talk? And I was like. Nobody does, but you know, we can, <laughs> nothing stopping us from doing it. So we, we did uh, the fixed stops mastermind after hours uh, nice. this past week. And uh, I got to, it was, I think there were 30 something people that were on the call and 18 of them stayed for the after hours. And w wow. we literally talked for an hour and a half after. So the session was an hour. We talked for another hour and a half. So two and a half hours sitting in front of a zoom call, but that hour and a half was amazing. You know, there, there were, there were a couple of guys that, that represent vendors there. So we talked about, you know, how their products work and, and, and things, and, you know, just had a discussion about a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't business related. And, and it's, you know, like you said, that community, it was, it, it was really cool to do. So we're going to start making that a regular thing. We're going to have the, the after hours for anybody who wants to hang out afterwards. And, uh, we started that on Cinco de Mayo to be <laughs> <laughs> fitting, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, what? Where do you see? And, and I know in some of the roundtables that you and I have uh, taken part in, this has been a big uh, hot topic for discussion. But where do you see the industry going in the future? Um, and and when I say that dealerships as a whole, service departments as a whole. What what do you see as we're as we're moving forward? And I know that's a vague question, but I, I think it's a, there's a lot of change happening. And especially as we record this, we're coming out or hopefully coming out of coronavirus here at some yeah. point. But uh, wh what do you see for change coming up that we're going to have to adapt to? Yeah. So it, I mean, obviously, if you'd asked me that question a few months ago, it, it, it might be a, a a different answer than you get now. But 
Um, I keep saying that the, the disruption that everybody was talked about has been talking about. Whoop. <laughs> the, the disruption that everybody's been talking about uh, has been brought to your doorstep. And, and so now it's a matter of, are you going to embrace it and do something with it? Or are you going to be the person that, that says, oh, yeah, coronavirus ruined my business? Right. You know, and um, I'd much rather be the person that's, that's embracing it and, and trying to get out there and, and expand rather than contract during this. How it's going to change is probably how it should have changed uh, long, long ago, yeah. which is to become more customer focused, to understand what our customers actually want. We talked about this on the, on the mastermind this past week was that dealerships have built these Taj Mahal dealerships and put nail salons and, and ice cream shops and all this stuff in the dealerships. And it's a place that people don't want to wait. They don't want to be there. Yeah. But we keep building things to bring them there and keep them there for hours. And it's like we're totally, and we're doing it out of customer experience, right? We, we want to we wanna solve the customer experience. It's not what they want. No. It, 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 and you didn't, really didn't need to look very far. Look at a Jiffy Lube or an, an NTB where the customer's sitting in a, in a school chair next to a pile <laughs> of tires and they chose them over your Taj Mahal dealership. Yeah. with the ice cream shop, you know, it, it's that that's not the customer experience they're after. They, they just want to be treated well, be treated fairly, feel like they can trust you. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we should have been doing all along. Right. You know, that that's what builds our retention. That's what builds a, a customer base that comes back to you. And that's where the business needs to go. And, and hopefully it continues. But I think they're realizing that now, hopefully it continues to go after this, stuff starts to go away and, and that we continue to take care of our customers. And if that's through more mobile service, if that's through more pickup and deliveries, wh whatever it is, I mean, we've got to have the offerings there, but, but we need to give the customer what they're asking for. Um, I agree. And that, that uh, I equate it to like if one of us and, and a lot of us have been in the industry so long that we're probably kind of numb to some of this and that's not, a, not a good thing. Right but I equate it to like going to sit at the doctor's office and the, the doctor's normally like 15 minutes later than they say they're going to be. And I don't care how nice that doctor's office is. I don't want to be there. Like there's, there's nothing that would make me want to be there. And, <laughs> and I think there's some level of the, the customer experience that is similar at a, at a dealership where that's, you know, you see people with massage chairs and like all of this other fancy stuff and nobody's going to take their, take their shoes off and just like kick back and relax. Like I, I hope not anyways, but, yeah. but we're trying to build these, these showrooms like that. And right. I think you're spot on. What do you see as a way? Um, I know uh, Brian Benstock talked about this out at the, the fixed ops round table and even the last virtual one, but that, that going to the customer, how do you, how do you envision that happening? Or is it picking up their vehicles and bringing it back? Is it mobile service? Is it kind of a combination of everything? You know, how, how do you see that like developing? Yeah, I, I think that has to be a, a combination. There's, there's no black and white in this industry. It's, it's just a bunch of shades of gray and, and you need to know what your customers want um, and, and be able to deliver that to them. Um, I, I think what Brian has built is, is amazing, yeah. but, but not many of us are in, that many. in fact i don't know if there is another metro like that in the world not Manhattan. Um, yeah. yeah so you know kudos to him he's a visionary and he's built something amazing 
you know, but that level doesn't work in, in, you know, the dealership that doesn't have a city for 30 miles. Right. Um, you, you know, you, you don't have the, you don't have the, the Uber or Lyft support system that's, that's around you to make that happen. Now that that's not to say that, that you can't pick up and deliver vehicles. You, you just need to find a different way to do it. As far as the, the mobile service thing, I, I think there's a lot of ways that that can play out. And, and I think there's a lot of ways dealerships can capitalize on that. You know, everybody has some, some decent sized companies around that, that have parking lot fulls, full of, of employee cars every day. To be able to offer to that company rather than an individual person, to be able to offer it to a company as a service that, that you're going to come and, and service cars at their dealership, at their, uh, their company, yep. well, you know, why their employees are still working. There's a big benefit to a company there to, to yeah. keep people. Now, now that employee doesn't need to either fake call in sick to go get their car serviced, <laughs> you know, or come in late or leave early to go pick their car up or whatever. It's getting serviced why they're, why they're right there at work. And that, that's a benefit to the company. So, so you could probably subsidize their maintenance repair and repairs through the company because of your extra productivity that you're going to get. Right. Um, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that the mobile service can play out and, and help people other than just the, the typical vision of going to somebody's house and, and changing their oil in the driveway. Right. So, so based on your experience with other dealerships and, and maybe just even with your own dealerships, how many, like, and this is a really, really vague guess, but how many are prepared to do mobile service? <laughs> Or percentage-wise, I, I mean, is I, there, are there that many? I, I, don't, I don't think you're, uh, I, I don't know if there's enough zeros to, to, after the decimal point to make that percentage. It's a very small number. Yeah. It, there's, there's not a lot of dealerships that are prepared to, to go and do that. And I say that as Ed Roberts is putting his third van out on the road. You know, he's, he's, he's killing it. You know, but, but a lot of companies are, are not, and, and you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to, to get into that business, but it's it's a big investment when you start, you know. I I mean, even if you're even if you're going to use a, a used van, the price of that van and building that out is is still forty fifty grand. Exactly. Um, and and that's that's a lot of service that you're going to do to recoup that cost. Well, you're, you're hauling so. fluids and you're doing you know there's yeah. some of that hazard you know mm -hmm. the, the insurance side that's a little different. And yep. I had a little bit of experience with that because I was on the equipment side of the business where that's really, really prevalent, right? Where you go out to work on heavy machinery or on farm machinery or whatever. And it is, it's a, it's a process to get a van built to, or a truck built to, to go, to go do those repairs. It's not like you just send somebody out in a truck and, and say, good <laughs> yeah. luck. Uh, it, you know, you have to recover the oil properly. You have to do it cleanly. So you're not leaking oil on the ground or, you know, mm -hmm. th there, it, there's a lot that goes into it. And, it's not as easy, I don't think, as it sounds, but you're starting to see other companies come up uh, that are not of factory brands, right? Of like right. Uh, aftermarket brands that are coming in and setting up businesses solely around that mobile mm -hmm. service, right? And I yep. think there's, uh, it started in fleets more so than, than like kind of automotive, but I, you're starting to see more of that. And I think from a dealership standpoint, that's something to keep a really, really close eye on because that, that could be something that makes a major impact. And, and you know how much business comes out of general maintenance based on right. inspections and everything like that. If mm -hmm. you start losing that battle, that, that's, a, that's a slippery slippery slope. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're already losing 70% of our customers to the aftermarket after they get out of warranty. Yeah. So you're going to take that, you're going to take that 30% that's left and, and lose even more than that, even before they're out of warranty, because these guys are, are coming to their house or, or again, coming to their work to, to get the uh, vehicle serviced and, and they don't need to miss any time from any, you know, a kid's baseball game to, <laughs> to an hour at work. They, they yeah. miss out on nothing and they get their car serviced. That's a, that's a big deal. What do you see for dealerships fighting for that, that service business now? I, I mean, when, when I say that, I think even up to probably five years ago, there was a lot of lip service on how important the aftermarket was to a dealership, right? And they, they you know, the, the owner would go out and say, yeah, we've, we've got a great service department, but then you know that their bread and butter is sales and you know that that's what they, they are passionate about. And they, you know, the, it's what they grew up on, right? Whereas mm -hmm. the, the backside of the business isn't always as sexy. And now that like, I think people are starting to wake up to, especially from the dealership world of, oh my gosh, the aftermarket is taking some of this business. And then, oh my goodness, that, that business is really profitable. <laughs> it's going out the door. So do you see a shift in attitude or do you still think there's some level of just they're saying it to, to be politically correct? I, I think there is a shift in attitude there, yeah. uh, but I still think that there's a, a, a large lack of understanding from the front of the house as far as what gets done in the back, how it gets done, and the importance that it has on the, the retention for that customer coming back and buying a car from them again. I don't think that's fully understood or appreciated, you know, and, and I mean, you, you look at, uh, I lost my train of thought on that. No, that's um, all right. I, so, yeah. but, but, but yeah, the, the, the shift is there. I mean, there's definitely, look, I'm grateful that people are talking about fixed ops now and they are focusing more on it. Uh, we need to get more of an education. You know, most of the GMs out there have, have come up through the, the variable side of the house. And I have no interest in being a GM. I have no interest in working six days a week until nine o'clock at night. And yeah. they, can have, they can have that job all day long. Um, you know, but, and the, the GM that I have at my store will, will tell you, I, I don't really know fixed ops, but I want to learn it. So, so I'm going to be out here being involved and, and I'm going to try to, figure out what's going on and things. And, and that's great. I don't, I don't have a problem letting them in on the big secret of what, of what we're doing. <laughs> but know? that's great though, that they, I think that speaks a lot to your general manager though, too, to, to be able to understand how important it is to the business and that, Hey, if, and, and to understand that, Hey, I don't understand, I don't know everything about that side of the business. You know, I want to learn about that side of the business. And, right. and I think there, that's a, that's a great quality for a general manager to have is, is not to assume, but ask questions and really get to know that side of the business. And, and really what is your most profitable side of your business? Like how, how do you get hands on with it and know that what you're doing is a good job and that it's going to keep customers coming back and that it's going to keep producing good revenue, good gross profit, you know, good bottom line, you know, like right. that's, there's a, there's a lot of value in, in knowing that. And I think just from my experience, I think, I agree with you in that the tide is turning a little bit. It, you know, I wouldn't have probably said that five years ago. Uh, I didn't quite believe that five years ago. Uh, but you are definitely starting to see more of a focus on 
um, the aftermarket, and when I say aftermarket, more of the the technicians, you know, producing labor, and mm-hmm. that being a an actual sale, like you're selling labor time. Right. And I think I think people are starting to understand that more, and especially as new sales margins go down and they get tighter and tighter, and it's it's more competitive than ever. Everybody's got a similar vehicle that they can sell. Yeah. Um, and from a dealership standpoint. The way that you can stand out from the crowd is your service is, uh, you know, the, the people that are in the dealership. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the difference between a commoditized thing and a, like an actual, like, this is our unique differentiator that right. we're, we're better. Right. Yeah. The, and I mean, that's how Amazon built the business, right? They're, they're, yeah. they, they, they don't have anything any different than you can go and pick up at, at Walmart or, or whatever store you're going to, but it's a lot easier to go and get it from, from uh, Amazon than it yeah. is to actually take a trip to the store. Uh, and, and that's uh, all they did was build the value machine. So, you know, the, the technicians are, the technicians are the only guys that produce anything in a dealership. The, the rest of us are all expenses all the way up to the dealer principal. That's yeah. all they are is expenses. Um, and, and, you know, the technicians actually produce something. They produce hours that, that get sold. So, you know, I, I have a, a great appreciation for those guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's good to finally see some some spotlight coming back around to, to them and, and to for, for people to understand the value that they have to this industry. Well, and I think that's a that's a big testament to you, Dave, and and what you do for the industry and trying to, as you say, make it a better place or make it better than when you when you got into it. I, I think that there's a there's a lot of really good people in this industry and in this in this business and people like you with that enthusiasm really help us take that to the next level and I, I think it's it's going to take a lot of Dave Foy's to be able to to drive the perception of the industry up uh, to drive the trust between the customer and the dealership up and just overall paint a better picture for who we are and uh, and I think I guess I tip my hat to you and what you're doing because I think you're doing one hell of a good job at it so I, I thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, I think we're running up on our hour now, but I, I, uh, I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing for the industry and we'll have to have you back on again here sometime soon. Absolutely. Love to. Thanks for having me, Jay.